Hi, this is Bron Burton and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. <laughs> it's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 Triple R. It's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name is Bron Burton and I'm really hoping on Skype I'm going to be joined by... Nope. Hmm. No Cade Mills. Cade Mills? There he is. Yep. I'm not I'm getting not anything through in. my headphones, Kate, I, so I I'm can, just going to push on. I can hear you, Cade. It's uh, panel beady. It's panel beta I can't UK. hear you, Kate, either. So what I'm going to do first up is just uh, thank Tim Thorpe very much for um, a wonderful three hours of Vital Bits. And thank you so much to Andrew for Soulful Bits. So fantastic to hear uh, Andrew doing a brand new Soulful Bits. We've been listening to um, Retro Andrew for quite some time. So really lovely to, uh, to hear Andrew uh, with us again. Um, we're just trying to sort out some technical difficulties here. Um, you can catch Tim next week, of course, for his first of four Radiothon editions of Vital Bits um, kicking off on uh, Saturday morning at 6 o'clock. He'll have 12 hours of Radiothon. Now, if you ever needed a reason to support this wonderful station and uh, to support Tim Thorpe, next week is the time to do that for Radiothon. So you'll be hearing a lot of rev up for Radiothon during the week and um, we are super, super excited about uh, about all of that. Um, Kate, I still can't hear you. I'm not getting anything through my headphones. So what I'm going to do is push on and just go through what we've got coming up on our program today. Uh, shortly, we're going to be catching up with Dr. Beach. Uh, he's back. The Beach is back <laughs> with a Life's a Beach segment. And uh, he's going to be having a look at mesocosm predictions of what marine life might be like in an elevated CO2 future. So I'm um, not really sure what that means, but uh, that's what Dr. Beach is here for. He's going to be telling us all about that. We're looking forward to, uh, to hearing even what uh, mesocosm predictions. What does that term mean? I don't know. We'll ask Dr. Beach. We're then going to catch up with uh, Dr. Surf. Of course, Dr. Beach and Dr. Surf being our Waldorf and Statler of Radio Marinara. Uh, and to talk about what surfers do when they can't go surfing, because, of course, unless you happen to live outside a stage four restricted zone, um, which includes obviously uh, me and I'm guessing many of you listening, there's not really a lot that we can do. So what does uh, what do what's Dr. Surf up to? What do surfers do when they can't go surfing? So this could be quite interesting. Um we're then going to uh, jump from the East Coast to the West Coast and speak with Mick Sowery. Uh, Mick Sowery, he will be well known to many of you if you've been a long-time listener to Radio Marinara. He's a true artistic treasure of the ocean. They're my words and I mean them from the bottom of my heart. He created uh, a couple of incredible art films, Musica Surfica and The Reef, in collaboration with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, uh, Richard Tonietti being his key partner there. Um, but Mick's also the artistic director of Great Ocean Quarter 
Audley, Art, Ideas and the Sea. It's a magnificent publication created for sea-affected lives. And uh, yes, that's all of us right now. So um, there were seven editions of Great Ocean Quarterly and uh, work began on an eighth edition, which ended up being paused. And so we're absolutely thrilled to talk to Mick about creativity during a pandemic, a very exciting, long-awaited, lost eighth edition of Great Ocean Quarterly in preparation and some um, big blasts of saltiness that don't we all need that right now? I know I certainly do. And how we can maybe get that other than actually physically being present at the ocean. Um, Finally, to close the show, we're going to cross to Perth. This is really exciting as well. Um, Completely different um, take on things now. We're going to be talking to James Dingley. Now, James is an honours student at the University of Western Australia and he's taking part in an online debate this week, uh, at the end of this week. It's National Science Week and I'm sure Dr Shane and the Einstein Agogo crew will be telling you all about National Science Week in uh, Einstein Agogo at 11 o'clock. But there's a debate happening this coming uh, Friday, I believe. Um, James can clear that one up for us, called Oceans versus Space, the Battle of the Final Frontiers. So, of course, space and the ocean often being described as the frontiers of science. But, uh, you know, we all know this. We've talked about this a lot on Radio Marinara. Why have we mapped out more of the surface of Mars and the Moon than the ocean floors of our own planet? And uh, if you had to make the call, which one is more worthy of research? I know some of us uh, would be saying and myself as well. Of course, we'd like to be funding both of them, but which one's more important? So will they address that in this debate? So James is going head to head with astronomer Kat Ross uh, and will be arguing the case for each frontier. So we'll catch up with James. He's going into battle for our oceans in this fantastic National Science Week event. All right. Um, I'm still not catching anything. Uh, Ken, have we got Kate online? Kent and I connecting via semaphore. So what I'm going to do is just do a couple of bits of news items um, that I've got with me and um, then we might throw to a track and try and sort this out. The first is just to promote um, a campaign. There's a few campaigns running at the moment. One is Beautiful Ningaloo and this is part of the Protect Ningaloo Save Exmouth Gulf. We spoke about this quite a lot on our program last year and it's gone a little bit quiet for us in terms of us really talking about it. Um, but certainly the campaign is continuing on. And on Tuesday, there was the launch of one of Western Australia's biggest ever conservation communications campaigns. And what they're really trying to do is to, I guess, draw attention initially to Western Australia, but of course to all of us, about the proposals um, by Subsea 7 to uh, put, they've, they've got a controversial proposal uh, that relates to building uh, all sorts of infrastructure um, relating to deep sea mining uh, and exploration around Exmouth Gulf and their direct implications for Ningaloo Reef in terms of risk. So they've got a campaign which is uh, up and running. Um, they understand that instead of risking Exmouth Gulf Ningaloo, oil and gas pipelines can be deployed offshore as part of current practice or industrialised sites in the Pilbara also could potentially be used, meaning that the Subsea 7 proposal for Exmouth Gulf is actually unnecessary. So we'll put a link to that campaign on our Facebook page if you're interested in following this one along, and it's certainly something we're going to pick up um, post-Radiothon. Another couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, There's some local councils around Port Phillip Bay who are doing some development works at the moment or actually putting some proposals together for development works One is at Altona Beach and uh, the council, um, relevant council, has released a bold series of concept papers for the Altona Beach precinct. Uh, So they're looking at having some rain gardens, water play, extended sand areas, lush green spaces and a reconfigured car park, 
all future options being considered for the Altona Beach Precinct, which is now open for public comment. Um, so those uh, proposals are open. Uh, this is Hobson's Bay City Council, open for comment by 23rd of August. So you've got a couple of weeks to get some comments in there if that's something that interests you. Another one which has just uh, come my way yesterday is Mornington Peninsula Shark Council have put together some proposals for development of the Rye Foreshore. So these are concept plans for the Rye Foreshore redevelopment as part of a $6.5 million Rye Township plan. And uh, there's some immediate concerns that have been expressed by the diving industry because what's being proposed is being considered as um, a bit of a potential block for people who go diving under Rye Pier. And we know that there's a lot of people who dive under Rye Pier, also a lot of people who fish off Rye Pier and people who just like to access Rye Pier. So um, some immediate concerns from the dive community. If you want to have a look at, uh, at what's being proposed and potentially get some comments in, there's a couple of ways that you can do this. Again, we'll put these links on our Facebook page, Mornington Peninsula Shire Council, uh, about us, major projects and Rye Township plan. Um, the other thing that you could do is go to the Scuba Doctor, uh, which is a, a local diving group down in down uh, on the Mornington Peninsula, and um, they've put up a petition as of last night. It's a change.org petition, uh, and you can follow that one as well. All right, it's 9.15. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Without further ado, we are now going to cross to Dr Beach. Are you there? Dr Beach is indeed here, Bron. It's fantastic to be back on air. Your dulcet tones. I cannot tell you the soothing effect they are having on me right now. (laughs) That's good. Having a few problems problems getting um, Skype going, are we? Well, yeah, a few few, uh, issues running this morning. But anyway, we will get there as we do here at 3RRR. We we just push on as we do and we will continue to do that. And I believe we've got Kate there as well. Kate, are you there? I am here. Can you? Have you got me? Yes, we do. (laughs) And we got Dr Beach. It's a party. Bring it on. (laughs) It's a party of three. How have you been, Dr Beach? I've been very well. Um, all things considered, you know, everyone's going through all of this rubbish and it's, yeah, we're surviving. And it's, yeah, it's okay. Missing coming into the studio, missing your dear sweet face, yours and Kate, everybody else. But, um, yeah, we'll all get through it. It is what it is. It is. It's an altered existence right now and we will get to the other side of this. Just have to stay positive and just stay focused. Right, so life's a beach. What is a mesocosm? Mesocosms, yeah, well, mesocosms, that's where we... Okay, think of a, um, a water tank that you might have outside of your house, one of those kind of flat ones. They're about 2,000 litres. Well, there were some dudes at the University of South Australia who had four tanks, no, about eight tanks of that size, so 1,800 litre tanks. And what they did was they took marine organisms from the Gulf of St Vincent and they put them into these tanks in the lab and what they then did was manipulate the various parameters there and this is looking forward to what things might unfortunately be like for us at the end of the century where we have increased temperatures increased concentrations of co2 in the ocean and people want to try we want to try and predict what it's going to be like at that period so these people from nagelkirchen professor nagelkirchen rejoices in that wonderful name from the university of south australia he and his group uh, set up this series of tanks and they're called mesocosms because they have all the all the things from kelps, cyanobacteria, shrimps, crabs, mollusks, worms, fish, and all of that stuff. They recreated the environment about, about six metre depth, about 20 kilometres off the shore in the Gulf of St Vincent in this series of eight tanks. tanks. 
manipulated the um, the temperature. As I said, well, they kept a couple of tanks completely the same. Didn't you know, present day temperature and levels of CO2. A couple of other tanks, they elevated the temperature over a period of a gentle period of a few weeks to what it might be like towards the end of the century. In another set of tanks, they increased the carbon dioxide concentration. And in another fourth set of tanks, what they did was they increased both CO2, carbon dioxide, and the temperature and had a look at the results six months later. The results weren't too pretty, Bron. The ones in where the temperature was increased, lots of organisms were gone, big changes in biomass. So what you're left with is a lot of turfing algae, a lot of algae down the bottom. What happened first was that a lot of the what we call primary consumers, so think of you've got primary producers, you've got your algae, you've got your phytoplankton, they are doing photosynthesis, and then you've got a lot of invertebrates, things like starfish, mollusks, snails, that are then feeding on those algae. And then those primary consumers, they become food for what we call secondary consumers. So they're like bigger crabs, got your fish, pelagic fish, all sorts of stuff there. And what they, these people did, Arkel Keck and, and his colleagues, was to have a look at the changes in the distribution of these primary producers, the primary consumers or the secondary consumers, those invertebrates and then big fish and then down to algae and all that. And as I said, when the temperature was increased, it wasn't very pretty. There was a big decrease initially in the primary consumers and also a bit of an increase in the secondary consumers, that is big fish and stuff. But alarmingly, lots and lots of algae. I love the algae yeah, more than anyone on Earth, but mm -hmm. we can't have too many of them because um, it does sort of interfere with like the trophic levels and all of that. Anyway, it was an ugly outcome. Um, and I mentioned that we had lots of sort of primary consumers initially, a lot of big fish, but then they think that this is going to be an unstable situation and that when you lose those things like the mollusks, the starfish, uh, then eventually, if they let this, this experiment run for more than six months, then you would lose all those big fish. And this is a very um, important thing because when we think about it, um, people eat fish. They like to eat big fish, pelagic fish, and these are the things which are going to be removed from these environments. So it's not only important for us as human beings, we're in fact probably the least important in all this equation when you think about it, but for these systems themselves. And this is, of course, looking towards... Marine heat waves, we've talked about those a lot on Maranoa in the past. I talked about the blob which occurred off the coast of um, Alaska and California in 2014. And we've also had the marine heat wave in Western Australia, which, as we've spoken about a lot, cleared out a lot of kelps there. Um, so these experiments that Nagelkirk and, you know, and the others in South Australia are trying to address these issues of what things are going to look like in the future. Um, and it also speaks to conservation and how we're going to rearrange things and manage stuff. There's another really interesting paper, if you can give me one or two more minutes, which came into, um, which appeared in, in Nature this week. And this is where people are trying to model the marine heat waves, or MHWs as they're now called, um, and what effect they're going to have. Um, this work is really important for predicting what things are going to be like in the future. And what these people now did was that they've been able to take a number of sets of data, including, for example, the um, great availability we have with satellite. Um, the satellite's been able to measure sea surface temperature. Um, they've also introduced this kind of just a very basic measurement of or definition of what a marine heat wave is. And this is where we have um, periods of ocean temperatures in a given region uh, for five or more consecutive days, more than 10% of the 
temperatures that they've been over historical values. They've taken all sorts of these data into combination and they've tried to figure out how far an organism is going to have to move from a particular point to get to where it's going to be comfortable if temperatures increase in these marine heat waves. This is really interesting because it's got a whole lot of people on board studying this and there's a heap more data, heap more papers which are emerging, which are coming into this field now and it's going to be able to help us predict these things and the effects of them in the um, in the coming days, which we hope, uh, well, not in the immediate days, but in the uh, in coming years as we move towards the end of the uh, as we move towards the end of the century, and we don't cut down our CO2 emissions, which we're not looking like doing too much. Um, so, yeah, a couple of interesting papers which I really enjoyed reading. Um, and yeah, how much more time do I have? Uh, you've I know got you've got a full show. You got about thirty seconds, Doctor Beach. I've got about thirty seconds, but I've got to leave it there, Bron. Um, it's been really nice to talk to you about this. And how are you going there? Yeah, we're okay. We're okay. We're um, you know, we're we're looking forward to Radiothon. Let's get a quick plug in for Radiothon because you're going to be right. you're going to be joining us next week. I am looking forward to that very much. Trying to get all the scientists on board out there to um, subscribe to to Mar- Mar- Marinara, renew their subscriptions to Marinara and to Triple R, the whole station. And yeah, what a wonderful thing it is. It's been so important for me, both Triple R and for PBS in this. This isolation. That's it. All radio, but in particular these radio stations which are feeding us all the stuff that we need. And I've said it many times, you know, we broadcasters are also listeners and for me it's been my lifeline. I just, I listen to Triple R from, you know, I have my little routine, I get up, I get ready, I sit down to uh, to do my work for the day and I and I immediately put on Triple R and I just have it from then until basically I, I you know, <laughs> need to turn it off towards the end of the day but it's, it's certainly something that... I'm so grateful for the fact that we have this wonderful radio station and um, next week, if you're listening, we want to hear from you. We really, really do. Uh, now more than ever, as the uh, as our theme is for this year's Radiothon. All right, I'm going to stop yakking, but thank you, Dr Beach. It's been lovely and really catch, looking forward to catching up with you next week. Me too, Bron. Okay, catch you then. See ya. See ya. Dr Surf, are you there? Yeah, but I'm not Dr Surf anymore. I'm Dr Bloody Pissed Off. <laughs> Spill the beans. What's happening? I can't be Dr. Surf when I've been not allowed to surf. So anyway, <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> so uh, can we, we'll get, let's get to the ultimate question. What do surfers do when they can't go surfing? Uh, walk the dogs. Right. Try to keep fit. Yep. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, before all this happened, I was pretty fit. And that's gone. So I'm walking, 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 and the dogs are having a lovely time. And and that and watching Bluey every morning to keep my spirits up on ABC Kids. Tell us a little bit about Bluey. I've heard a lot about Bluey, but I haven't quite managed to connect yet. <laughs> Bluey's uh, an Australian cartoon made in Brisbane. It's about a family of blue and red healers, and it is hilarious. And you cannot be grumpy after watching Bluey, honestly. It just cheers me up no end. It's, got, it's one of those rare TV kids shows that had little bits for mums and dads. Yeah. And it's all about playing, playing with dad, playing with mum. And it's, it's, quite, it's not sort of silly. The games they play are the games, you know, we played and our kids played. Like today they're playing taxis. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, they go and visit Nana on the coast and all this sort of stuff. But it is mm. hilarious. And it's beautifully done. That's great. So, 
I get up, I watch Bluey, I take the dogs to the park, I go for walks. If it's weekday, I'll go to work, do some work. I just count off every day. But, you know. So, Dr. Surfing. Have you been um, scraping all the wax off your old surfboards and making like well, giant wax balls and figurines <laughs> and little I'm models? Leaving, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I'm leaving that for later on. <laughs> you don't want to go too early? To next week. That, that just goes to show how dull life is at the moment. But the other thing I've noticed is that all my wetsuits are dry, and that hasn't happened in decades. Wow. Usually this time of the year I've got two or three and you just rotate them in the vain attempts to put on a nice warm, dry wetsuit on a cold morning, but they're all dry. Now, Dr. Surf, in a minute we're going to be catching up with Nick Sowery. Are you going to stay on the line? Yeah, I can. The but... dogs are looking at me because they want to go to the park, though, Brian, so I'll blame you. <laughs> they're looking a bit stressed. I know your dogs. They'll be fine. <laughs> they're labs. They're always fine. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. But, yeah, I'll stay on. that will be fun to talk to Mick. All right. Well, hang on the line. We're going to play a track and uh, and line up Mick, hopefully on Skype. Uh, we'll see how we travel. Um, we've had a few Skype gremlins in the Triple R studios this morning, but we'll give it a crack. Um, and you're going to be joining us next week for Radiothon, of course. I certainly will. Yeah. I shouldn't have to pump Triple R in these times because it's more vital than ever. That's right. And uh, that's what surfers can do when they don't go surfing. They can subscribe to Triple R. So we'll, um, we'll push that one next week. Hey, uh, Bron. Um, yep, we've uh, we've lost uh, Doctor Surf, and I think you wanted me to try and get um, Mick on the phone. Mick on the phone. Have we still got Cade on Skype? Yep. All right, let's pop let's pop Cade up. Cade, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Excellent. I was just chatting to Mick too. He's there. Oh, yeah, Mick. In the background. Oh, there we go, Mick. You there? Oh, uh, yeah. Mick. I was uh, sending you a <laughs> sent you a message, mate. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. The, the I did answer the message. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the semaphore communications are working. I had such a great <laughs> intro planned for you, Mick. <laughs> but we've just logged in. Look, if you've just joined us, I'll give you a quick update about Mick Sowery. So Mick is a, a true artistic treasure of the ocean. You can start blushing now, Mick. Um, creator of art films, Musica Surfica and The Reef. Mick's also artistic director of Great Ocean Quarterly, Art Ideas and The Sea. Uh, it's a magnificent publication created uh, a few years ago. We'll ask what a few means in a minute for sea-affected lives. And yes, that's you. If you're listening to Radio Marinara, you have a sea-affected life because you have an interest in this program. So how how does one stay creative during the current pandemic and how does one stay connected to the ocean? So we're now crossing to Jan Juck to ask Mick these questions and to talk about the exciting long-awaited lost eighth edition of Great Ocean Quarterly currently in preparation and some big blasts of saltiness that we all need right now. So officially, good morning, Mick, and welcome back to Triple R. Oh, thanks, Bron. Great to be back. It's so awesome to have you back with us. Now, last time we uh, caught up with you, I was thinking, I was trying to remember when it was, it was either related to Great Ocean Quarterly or maybe when we chatted about Australian surf culture with uh, Dr. Surf and with Tim Winton a few years ago. Um, yeah, I think it was the Tim Winton one was the last time. That was, uh, it feels like many moons ago now. Yeah. What's been happening over the years? Oh, well, a lot's happened, actually. Um, well, we last, uh, it was uh, two thousand early 2015 that we um, shut down Great Great Ocean Quarterly. We were actually in the middle of planning a couple of other publications that were offshoots of that, but, um, you know, um, basically because we were self-financing, we realised that we, we probably needed a couple of more issues to get to the point, but we didn't have any money left, so we just had to give it away. But um, it was one of those things where we went, well, we gave it the best shot we could, 
and uh, but it was always sitting in the background about maybe one day. And um, so post that, I did the second redux of the reef with uh, the, the chamber orchestra with the ACO. And, um, and then a couple of years in an ad agency and then my wife's illness and I lost Sue in early last year. And that provoked um, uh, a discussion with me and the boys a couple of times that COVID was kind of a tipper. And we thought, what can we do for COVID? And we thought we'd drag out, well, not even drag out, but rebirth the magazine, at least for the Lost Eighth edition. Yeah, it's been interesting seeing um, one of the impacts of COVID being a sparking of all kinds of uh, creativity. Um, how have you managed to sort of stay creative and also uh, keep creative during this time? Well, look, I, I sort of was thinking about this yesterday and creativity is kind of the fallback position for anybody that I, I think is in a time of crisis, like what the hell am I going to do now? And uh, in one way or another, you're forced to think laterally and people that are in lockdown in Melbourne are trying, you know, probably being very inventive about filling their time. Uh, down here, we're a little bit more free, but at the same time, you know, it's just that introspection and the opportunity to do something a little bit magical. And the magazine's always been that to to uh, Mark, Jock and I and Tim and Ali and anyone else that's ever involved with it. Cam, Cam Fergus, you know, this we've got a sort of a pretty cool group of wonderful people that, uh, you know, adore it and adore working on it. And we're obviously all oceanic um, lovers. And... Uh, so we're deep into it and I probably had the magazine two-thirds done when we pulled the pin in 2015 so we revisited that and then went okay what um, articles are redundant because of time replacing them and getting new stuff and then just re-looking at the build and um, so every night pretty much every day I'm working on it Jock's working on it Mark's working on it um, and um, but the big thing right now is the funding drive because what we're trying to do is get the magazine up and fund and by funding what we're trying to do is pay for the printing and our suppliers and you know the contributors and the artists and the photographers and the writers and uh, and uh, shipping and uh, the three of us or all of us that are involved in the actual making are pretty much doing it for the love. Um, and um, but the, probably the great desire is if you know a golden eagle dropped a big egg on us and said look here's enough to do it for three years or something like that that would be a dream because I think uh, once we got into an international market it'd be incredibly viable. Can you um, give us a few highlights from the first seven editions because I, I really kind of want to make the point that this isn't a surf mag it's not the sort of you no, know it's not no, a no. it's not one of those magazines where you pick it pick it up and there's you know beautiful pictures of the ocean and it goes so much deeper than that and it goes so much broader than that and yeah. it's I, I used to say that Great Ocean Quarterly was like Radio Marinara in print only really classy and uh, a lot more intelligent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so look, the, the idea was, was an idea I had way back and it was basically satisfying my, my own personality in that I'm just curious about everything. And I'm a, I'm a surfer, obviously, but I didn't want it to be a surfing magazine. I wanted it to be about the sea. So my internal premise was if it was, if it was something that had a bit of salt into it or a whiff of salt in it, um, it was viable in the mag and so, or the journal. And so it, it has poetry it has science it has literary writing it has philosophical writing it has 
photography, it has painting, it has anything that somebody sends to us and we think it's good enough to be in the magazine and it's got to run. As long as we just, our constant question is, is it salty? So now, that's kind of it, you know. Me, and so, yep. I was going to say, I'm no golden eagle, but I did actually jump onto Possible this morning and um, make pledge my donation there. Yeah. And the thing I love about the the magazine is it seems to capture sort of a spirit of surfing that's sort of more in line with the soulful being a part of nature rather than the you know the snappy product that we kind of see rolled out these days yeah. are yeah. you trying to sort of reconnect people with that fun and that sort of depth of emotion that comes with being in the water well look i mean i'll correct you again and it's not a surfing magazine um with the fact that we're surfers is, is kind of almost um it's a problematic to a degree I think we've had maybe three surfing-related articles in the whole history of the magazine. But at the same time, because we are all in the water all of the time, that's our great constant. So, for instance, when when Sue died and I was in a deep recovery mode, just sitting out and staring at the horizon was my, my mantra of, um, of peace, you know, as I sort of gathered myself after that disaster. And... And for all of us, every surfer, but every ocean person, it's a, a place of deep solace. And again, um, to have um, at the moment seven issues of deep solace sitting on your coffee table is a pretty good place to, to have them, you know. It's trying to keep building this uh, mass of um, creativity that's out there. People yearn for the ocean um, when they're not near it. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, Radio Marinara exists because of that. Yeah, it's about maintaining that connection, and I think you know we can do that once a week. Um, but uh, but Great Ocean Quarterly, it's there always, and and uh, you know I'm, I'm such a big fan of it. Let's have a quick look through the Lost Eighth Edition and some of the highlights. Do you want to go through a few of those, Mick? Yeah, sure. Well, um, like um, we've, one of the features that we have in the magazine is um, two 16-page um, glossy sections. You know, we put in the highest quality paper we can get in there. The magazine's actually like a great big, big brick anyway. Um, so we've got an, um, a Russian, I suppose you'd call him a marine biologist stroke underwater photographer called Alex and Semenov. Um, I discovered Alex back then, just fell in love with his images, contacted him. He was dead keen on being in the magazine and he sent uh, a whole bunch of new images and he... His main focus is underwater and invertebrates under the White Sea and up in the Arctic. Oh. And so they're incredible images. It's just oh, wow. like something out of outer space. Um, and then we've got um, free diver uh, William Trubridge and, you know, obviously Will's world champion and world record holder, but he's a very deep-thinking guy. He's got a very philosophical approach to his free diving. But we've also got access to his childhood like his baby photos. So you've got almost this history of a young man and a love affair with the ocean. Uh, we've got uh, Inky Faulkner in sort of, um, uh, research under Sydney Harbour. We've got a great article from page writer Tony Wright called That Last Great Day at the Spring. And I went over to Cape Bridgewater with him two, three weeks ago and photographed down there. And that was just an incredible experience. Uh, we've got... Um, what else have we got? Um, okay. On Tyrrell, Church of the Open Sky, we've got a magazine. Uh, sorry, I always have a feature where we uh, have a piece of music, the story of the piece of music, but it's always based on a sacred space that we find somewhere. And it might be an old abandoned church, um, something like that. You know, it's, and so we've got On Your Tyrrell, um, 
uh, singing a song called Oh, oh Salty Water. Um, and we, you can get access to that online. We've got Horatio Clare, who's a, a British writer, and he's writing a story of life on con an old container ship because uh, we always have a Great Ocean Quarterly um, philosophy page. And so that's kind of within that space. There's, it's like pages, like it's so much I can't. Can't even no, no, no. Oh. That's that's a great yeah. summary. We're going to play a little yeah. bit of Unnatural in a minute. Um, yeah. We've also got. Uh, I've just got a list here. Tim Winton's put a piece in for you as well. Um, Jock Sarong, who is yes. uh, a local writer based down on the west coast, far west coast in Victoria, who is just an absolutely beautiful writer, and he's he's part yeah. of your uh, editorial team as yes. well. Um, Jock, Jock, I'd have to mention is our is as you say our editor, and he gives um, the whole magazine this unique spin, mm. um, and uh, like. Absolute treasure of man. We've also got, um, uh, I really had to mention this one, Lauren Clark, who, of uh, course, is yeah, uh, is very beloved here at Triple R and uh, yeah. former part of our breakfast team. And she's written a piece on body surfing with her dad, um, late satirist and comedian John Clark. And yeah. it's going to be hard for me to read that one without feeling emotional because, of course, we had, our, we had our connection to John as well um, through yeah. our program. So, yeah, that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing. It's a, that is an absolutely beautiful piece too. And um, I will add too that I've been... Part of my remit with all of this is when you have a piece like the one with John, John and Lauren, uh, finding the images that, that uh, complement it. And I've got some, I've been in touch with some fantastic oceanic photographers that are contributing to that. Great. We're yeah. going to have to move on, Mick. Um, yeah. So we're talking about uh, to get a copy of this, it's a, it's a pre-purchase arrangement. Yes. Um, what's the best way that they can do that? How can they get some more details? Well, we've got two sort of points of contact online. You've got our website, which is greatoceanquarterly.com. That's easy to find. And, and if you're an Instagram person, then at greatoceanquarterly. And at both of those, there's instantly a, a, a link through to our possible page. And the possible page gives a really in-depth um, explanation of what we're trying to do and about us. There's a sort of mini bios of all of those involved. And, um, and it's just uh, basically what happens is You've got the opportunity to buy or pledge rather forty dollars, which is the cost of one magazine, or more if you want to buy more magazines, or if you just want to make a donation. Um, and uh, there's no money out of your credit card until we reach our target, which is forty-eight thousand, which, as I said, is that key number to get uh, get it actually printed. Fantastic. Uh, we'll yeah. put a, put a link to that on our Facebook page later this afternoon. People can go check it out. Mick, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you, and uh, looking forward to catching up again soon. Well, it's been great to hear your voice again, Bonnie. It's a wonderful reunion. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get to do it in person one day soon. No worries. Yeah, good luck. Awesome. You too. Bye-bye. You too. Bye for now. Bye. Uh, Mick Sowery there. And uh, we, we, I wanted to talk to Mick about Music of Surfica. We didn't quite get there. But um, I'm going to put a link to that on our Facebook page as well because it still is my go-to number one piece of uh, cinematic art when I want to be connected to the ocean and can't physically get there. All right. It is 12 minutes to 10. You're listening to Radio Marinara. And uh, Mick mentioned uh, Oh Salty Water by Anya Tyrrell. I'm going to play a little bit of that just while we line up our next guest, James Dingley from the University of Western Australia to talk about about the great oceans versus space debate happening later on this week.
Now, space and the oceans are often described as the ultimate frontiers of science, but why have we mapped more of the surface of Mars and the Moon than our ocean floors of our own planet? If you had to make the call, which one would you say is more worthy of research? To thrash this out, Oceans versus Space, the Battle of the Final Frontiers, is an online debate happening this week as part of National Science Week, where an astronomer and an ocean scientist will argue the case for each frontier. Going into bat for our oceans is James Dingley, representing the University of Western Australia's Oceans Institute and Oceans Work. Oceans Works. Ocean Works. We got there eventually. To find out more, let's cross to Perth to speak with James Dingley about this fantastic National Science Week event. Good morning, James. Welcome to Triple R and to Radio Marinara. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So great to have you with us. Now, uh, you're representing the value of the oceans against one of the world's most well-supported fields of research. No pressure, James. Yeah, thanks. Well, ocean is all full of pressure, so I'm quite, quite well prepared for it, I hope. <laughs> now, we're obviously not going to give away your key arguments to give your opposition a chance to start re- uh, planning her rebuttals. Let's start with the obvious question. Should we be investing more in exploring the oceans? I think definitely there is so much we can discover from the oceans and gain ourselves when we do explore the oceans that it's just a silly place not to invest more into. Um, tell us a little bit about the uh, Oceans Institute because I mentioned that you work there or you're part of there. Tell us a bit about the uh, Oceans Institute and, and what you do. Yeah, so um, I work directly with the Ocean Works Group and so they're sort of a subsection or tangentially related to the Oceans Institute and their idea is to prototype things quickly and move fast to develop new um, concepts in ocean science. Uh, so when I was working with them, I did a lot of research with the uh, Prelude Floating Liquid Natural Gla- Gas Platform which is really a, this like huge floating city in the ocean. Um, it's got 280 crew. It's like 500 meters long. It's five times larger than an aircraft carrier. And uh, my research with them was to um, essentially work out better ways that we could um, get the um, liquid natural gas from the Prelude platform onto the support carriers that um, come alongside it uh, to move the gas off of there. So when you, um, s- I was going to say, when you say better, what does that mean? Yeah, so um, because we have the two ships floating next to each other, so the massive city-sized prelude and then the smaller but still ridiculously massive uh, carrier vessels, uh, we can only go into certain ocean states. Um, so basically if it's too windy or too rough, the two um, basically will bang up alongside each other, so we can't let that happen because it would destroy the vessels. Um, so my research is in working out uh, why they float next to each other that way and work out some other sea states we could use in order to um, let the transfer happen. Um, I was having a look last night at your... We'll get into the debate in a minute. Um, having a look last night at uh, your YouTube channel, Atomic Frontier. Now, I need to also put this in context. So, James, you're a fourth-year honours student at the University of Western Australia, is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. I'm doing my research at the moment. Yeah. So fourth-year honours student, you have a YouTube channel. Um, it's called Atomic Frontier. I'm just going to say up front, this is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. And when I first was looking at it, I was thinking, wow, this, you know, I was thinking, oh, this this guy's surely got to be in his mid-30s and he's been doing research for a really long time. And then I realised where you were at sort of in the stage of your career. What sort of got you into creating a, a, a YouTube channel um, that is purely designed for for science communication and the way you do it is just so clear and it's so easy to understand. Um, what, what got you into that? Oh, first of all, thank you so much. That's really, really kind. Um, so I've always really enjoyed um, science and science communications, um, but I was always told that in order to be a scientist, you'd have to 
like write journal articles and publish papers. And unfortunately, I have quite bad dyslexia. So um, I was never going to be able to write the articles at the same rate or as well as uh, anyone else could. Um, so when I found out about that, I was really upset. Um, but one of my teachers uh, back in uh, like year seven said that maybe instead of writing things about science, you could maybe talk about science because you enjoy talking about things. Um, so I tried that out, made my very first video. It was awful. Um, I just stole the music from YouTube. Um, <laughs> didn't know what I was talking about. But I had such a fun time doing that. I, I had such a fun time doing it. I thought I should uh, continue doing this and um, see where it can take me. And it's been an amazing journey since then. What a forward-thinking teacher to not try and shoehorn you into, you know, a curriculum that is so written language dependent, but to find another channel to uh, allow you to uh, to sort of communicate. Because what's resulted is this great YouTube channel. There's uh, it's a mix of all sorts of different science. Um, we're going to put a link to this on our Facebook page, and you, there is some um, really interesting marine segments as well. They only go for about six or seven minutes, so it's the sort of thing that you can easily watch and digest. Um, my 15-year-old son, who's in Year Nine, has become an instant fan of yours overnight James he actually asked if I could get your autograph today <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I said yeah. that's not possible because you're in Perth but anyway um yeah can you talk us through a couple of your uh, your marine based uh, segments that you do on Atomic Frontier yeah so one of my favorite ones I did quite recently was at Buxton Jetty which is uh, one of the longest jetties in the world um basically a little bit south of Perth where I live and um they have this really cool um sort of scuba diver technology down there where you can wear this really big like bubble helmet and you can actually talk underwater and it allows you to see some really amazing stuff in a different way than you would if you've done uh, scuba diving or snorkeling. Um, but I, I was there, I was wearing this really funny helmet and I uh, did a video about how humans can sort of walk around on the oceans. So we hear about spacewalks all the time and how difficult that might be, but walking on the ocean's floor is actually even more extreme. Uh, so humans obviously need air to breathe and we need that air at the right pressure. So if you've ever tried to swim in a pool with a really long snorkel, you find that when you go like uh, 50 centimeters down, it's really difficult to get the air into your lungs. So scuba diving gets around that by pressurizing that air and sort of forcing it into your lungs to force against the pressure of the water outside. It's but about- As you go deep, yeah, sorry. I was gonna say, this is one of the great things that you do with your, your YouTube channel is actually make physics digestible for people who kind of don't have a natural affinity for it. So I've just realized the time, we'll have to um, quickly get into this debate, but um, for people who wanna catch more of your, uh, your YouTube channel, as I said, we'll put a link to that on our page. What's your plan of attack this week, um, James? Because you definitely have a foot in both camps. Your honors project is, is to do with uh, laser-based communication on Mars so you've obviously got a bit of insight into your opposition what's your plan of attack going to be for the debate because we're all counting on you to represent the oceans I uh, don't worry I'm, I feel feel the pressure um <laughs> so I because obviously I'm an engineering student a lot of my focus is going to be on the extreme engineering of the oceans so that that sort of continues with the um sort of undersea walks versus spacewalks that I was uh, talking about with the video earlier um so it'll be an engineering focus and also some of the um, ideas that um, the space might think that they've got the coolest alien life, but I'd argue that the world's oceans are actually even more amazing for that. So we have um, octopi in the oceans. They are basically this species that evolved minds and brains completely separately to human beings, and their brains are completely distributed through their entire body. So it's a really weird way of thinking um, that, that they would have, and I think that's really fascinating. I think that... Um, Sort of taking the points that might be a space point and turning them into oceans points, 
uh, will be quite a good good plan of attack. Now, people can actually tune in to hear this debate for themselves. Uh, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. Lots of links coming off on our Facebook page this week as well. So if you're interested in finding out more and watching James going to debate, and we're sure you'll come out victorious, James. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.